Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mango Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Lee. Here, I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Jamie. Jamie, how are you? I am doing great. How are you? Wonderful. You have a new addition in the family. Uh, do you know when the sun is out, when the sun is not out, when you're supposed to socially be awake? Look, when it's socially acceptable to be awake? Do you, I mean, do you know up, down? Do you know gravity anymore? What's going on with your life? Look, anything from last week that's socially unacceptable, I blame on sleep deprivation, um, child-induced <laughs> sleep deprivation. Anything I say wrong this time, I blame on um, you, actually, just straight you. Just so. straight me? Uh, it yeah, was, just it, straight. yeah, we can we can attribute it to me. Okay, well, look, podcast professional that you are, newborn in the house, you're doing forging ahead with the podcast. We're on the penultimate episode of Ahsoka Season One, Part Seven: Dreams and Madness. Jamie, what did you think of uh, what did you think of this episode? I liked it a lot. Uh, I continue thinking that it's every episode is better. I continue being glad that I stayed optimistic in the first two or three episodes where I wasn't happy, but I trusted and my trust has been repaid. Um, not necessarily that every episode is completely better. You know, we talked last time, all kinds of things that we think was not great, but the, the not greats are like specific interactions or plot points in a sea of goodness. So the fact that I'm getting a sea of goodness of Star Wars TV shows, where my biggest complaint is, that's a good place to end the episode, though I would like you to give me more, please. That's 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 not a bad complaint. No, it's not. And I, I also am kind of in the same boat. I mean, I think this is the, you know, Star Wars has become strangely, weirdly divisive. Like if you say, this is this type of Star Wars I like, then you upset another fan base or whatever. But like, if I wasn't thinking about like the strange, weird Star Wars fan politics, um, I probably would be going around telling everybody like this is like my favorite Star Wars since probably like maybe The Force Awakens, um, or at le- at a minimum, like it's as excited as I am about watching Star Wars since maybe The Force Awakens isn't right. Probably Mandalorian season one, but like Mandalorian season one, Force Awakens, it's at that level for me. Like I really look forward to it every week. Um, it's become like so, my whole my whole week revolves around the the new Ahsoka episode in a way that it just hasn't for a lot of these Star Wars shows. It's really sucked me in. I'm enjoying it. So I've got a question for you. And yeah. this is not a gotcha. This is you said something that I think is at least in the moment the way you're feeling, but it seems inconsistent. I wanted to tease it out because there might be something interesting. There. Yeah, I'm probably all off. But yeah, tell me. No, no. I think you've said that you if if forced to pick a favor between Andor and Mandalorian season one. You think you like Andor better, but now you're talking about how you're actually you haven't been this excited since Mandalorian season one. What is it? Can if that is accurate, can you tease that out a little bit about maybe what makes you so much more excited about this in a way you haven't been since they started doing good TV shows? I wish I had a really wonderful answer for you here, and it was like super well thought out, and I could like talk about all of the individual specific characteristics of these shows in a really eloquent way that you would expect somebody who runs a podcast network about television reviews to do. Here's the real answer. I did not watch Andor week by week. (laughs) So that's the answer. That's why I like, I said it that way, right? Because like I ended up um, kind of binging Andor. Uh, We didn't cover Andor on the show on the, um, on the podcast. And, uh, we ended up. Oh, just, we, we covered it in halves. We, we did, we did two episodes for the entire season, I think. That's how we did it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I was like, 
I binged the episodes, right? Like I wasn't necessarily watching week by week in the same way. Um, you're absolutely right to call me out on that because I have said it and I still mean it that Andor was better to me than Mandalorian season one. And I would probably still rate Andor at higher quality than this show. But um, the way that they're pulling in a lot of different elements of the lore, the way that I feel like this is very much the Star Wars universe um, yeah, it's just, it's generating a, a big amount of excitement in me every week as I, I go to watch it. I also am appreciating the fan reaction. I like that it seems to be a big group watch every Thursday. Um, a lot of, a lot of fans jump online and immediately say their takes. And it, yeah, it just feels like a big collective viewing experience and I'm enjoying it. So I'm going to give you, um, so, so first of all, I want to say it's not that you're not a podcast professional with all these thought out. We could script all this. You didn't even know I was going to ask that. We we bring it to your real. We keep we keep it fresh. That's fresh how, that's how you that's how you know we don't make it up because uh, yeah I no. didn't have a great answer for you there other than I binge watched Andor. <laughs> so do, do you want me to give you the uh, me as a script reworker treatment that you think that I do for all Star Wars? I mean if I if they're going to benefit from oh me giving, would giving love it answer. please do the right yes give it give, so, let's go in the writers room surprise. The reason why our character of Ali said that is actually because he's becoming slowly in touch with his inner childish joy and surprise, which as an adult, it's hard to find. Mandalorian season one surprised us because nobody really expected it to be as good, just solid, capital G good as it was. Correct. And Andor, by that point, we kind of expected good stuff. He was getting what he expected, and it was the best, but he was expecting it to at least be really good. Ahsoka successfully drew him in with the first like three episodes where he is going to say he was optimistic, but he was not actually, he was a little optimistic, but not really. He was very apprehensive and even let down, but it made it pay off. So the surprise is that's the payoff. There you go. I like that. There that's a solid I'm answer. I, I mean, I, I, and or I mean, was it, definitely it turned around a lot. Like a lot has happened here more than I would have possibly expected. I hate the stuff now that I hated then, but most of it's for a purpose, and stuff that's not for a purpose isn't the focus. I agree. Yeah, and, and Andor very much – I'm not trying to say Andor wasn't in the Star Wars universe. Of course it was. We knew it was in the Star Wars universe, but it was a separate, distinct story being told. This, like, pulls in elements of the main story and elements of Legends and elements of the, the movies, the, cartoon, the, the cartoons, the books – um, there's even like references to stuff in the books um, from a certain point of view, which is like alternate uh, viewpoints from the main movies. There's stuff from the comics. I mean, the way that it's kind of pulling the Star Wars universe together and all these different storytelling mechanisms they have together is really exciting for me, too. <clears throat> um, you know, getting this episode, we'll get in the recap here in a second, but this episode, you know, getting a tie in from Mandalorian season three. Oh, what about what ha- the, what happened on Mandalore with Moff Gideon? Uh, we get that reference. We get Senator Organa. We get 3PO this episode. We've gotten Anakin Skywalker. We got an Anakin Skywalker this episode, but we got live action Anakin Skywalker. Um, in a previous episode, it's, it's tying a lot of stuff together and it, it feels, this is kind of like a sounds like a stupid thing to say, but like a steel, it feels very Star Wars y to me, um, in a way that like it really does like make me feel, I feel nostalgic for the franchise again, like 
the way that I did as a kid, kind of, because it's pulling mm-hmm. together all these different elements of the universe. It's not this sort of side story that's really well done. Andor was fantastic, really well done. Mm-hmm. Instead, yeah. this is, uh, no, we're hearing, we're seeing Mothma, Mon Mothma, and there's, you know, fuck, there's Thrawn from the books. Uh, we actually get to see him in person. All this different stuff. I guess that might be um, another way to explain why this is generating such excitement I mean, week by week. So I don't have a real deep thought on this, what I'm about to say, because I'm not a, I'm, I'm, I'm a fake professional too, but I think there's something to, to this, this thought. I'm going to tease out and share it with you. I feel like you could do a really in-depth study comparing what Andor and Ahsoka have done against what the Han Solo movie did, where one feels interconnected and like a love letter to the fan base. And the other one seems deus ex machina fan service. And the idea that you're right, you are tying together and referencing so many things, but they all are um, when they should be throwaways, they're throwaways. When they are just background setting, they're just background setting. Each thing seems like it fills the correct role what it naturally should be and you're not like looking at a you know rear view mirror dangly uh a pair of dice and you're looking at it and talking about it for a while no it, it's just a pair of dice it's there and if you know it then you can notice it and love it but it's just there the way it should be um anyway i think it's really good i, I like what you're saying it does tie everything together in a way that i've in the past said i hate but they're doing it in a way here that I like. Uh, I don't like that everything has to be, oh, this isn't just a Gungan. This is Jar Jar Binks's cousin. And it's like, no, you can, not everything yes, has to be. I, yeah, it doesn't always have to be the same six guys. It um, doesn't always have to be damn Tatooine every single time. Um, yeah, and this doesn't, but, right? This isn't. Yeah, um, yeah and it's, they, it's, yeah. They see 3PO show up for no good reason. And I accepted it as totally fine. Honestly, I actually think there was a really good reason there. Like, I think that they were saying it was going to be weird to put Leia in it, right, after Carrie Fisher died. So I think they're trying to figure out ways to – Leia's going to show up in this story because she's, like, a very big figure in the the New New Republic. They're trying to figure out ways not to show her on screen, I think. Yeah, well, you are right. But if if she had been there ignoring the actress issue, um, it would have – still been a big like oh look who's here it's our buddy leia it's of course it's oh han's here too for no reason it didn't have to be c-3po it could have been any droid now her sending it does make sense though it's not just for literally no reason because it does send a message it does make sense he's the one that serves leia and her sending him who is in his own way a hero of the republic helps the message work correctly but it could have been done without that. You didn't really need to see three, to, to CC three PO, um, but sure. it worked. Yeah, sure. In Han Solo movie, there was plenty of stuff that I got irritated were connected that didn't need to be, and I felt that way honestly in some of the prequels and sequels both. It, yep. it always has felt natural in, honestly, kind of all these TV shows, even like Obi Wan. I kind of felt that way where the things that were interconnected. We're interconnected because, you know, it's a big galaxy, but we are talking about like a hundred specific people and how they interact. Those are kind of the players in our story that we care about. 
Yeah, uh, I think that they've done a particularly good job in this period, this post-Return of the Jedi, pre-Force Awakens period, of telling a different story that's still very much connected to the main sort of thing, right? Um, and by, it was, it's just brilliant. I think it's just brilliant to, to connect it to the rebel story. And it, it w- I was obviously pretty negative about it or not really negative, but like I was more negative than I am now the first couple episodes. But I think, I think pulling in the rebels characters was really smart. Actually, that's probably a great segue to start our recap, um, where we Let's start. Let's do it because I want to talk about specific <clears throat> things in this episode now, but, but we'll, we'll do it in order. All right. So we start in, certain course, yeah. Uh, Senator Ziano is giving Hera hell. He questions her uh, about protecting the citizens by ignoring direct orders. She fires back, no, I was protecting citizens by ignoring you. Mon Mothma seems to be trying to stick up for Hera, but like, she seems, I don't know how you, your impression of Mon Mothma in the scene, but she felt like a very weak, weak ruler to me. I mean, I gotta know she's not a ruler, but she is the lead of the, the New Republic and she seems, um, very scared to assert that authority in this scene, right? And but she is here and there, seemingly trying to give Hera the benefit of the doubt. Carson Tiva comes in. Siano says her report reads like ch- children's tales, which is kind of a funny inside joke about the way this season has gone. Like Jedi, false Jedi, star map, star whales. Honestly, are we to believe any of this? Hera says that Elsbeth is leading an imperial remnant, but Siano objects to that term because it's sensational. Uh, that. Man, that, that felt real, that felt like real politics, right? Like when somebody goes, mm-hmm. no, no, we have this problem and the person just offhandedly dismisses it as sensational. That felt like a, a real political discussion. Uh, Carson just getting, just glaring at Ziano. Ziano says there's no evidence of any of these scattered imperial remnants are working together. And that's when Carson asks about the conflict on Mandalore helping us a little with the overall timeline because we figure out that this actually does fit in after season three of Mandalore when there was the battle on or season three of Mandalorian when there was the, the battle on Mandalore with Moff Gideon in season three. So pause a moment. That means Ahsoka has yep. already helped Luke set up his school. Correct. Okay. Um, yes. I think I don't know that that really matters, but it's good to know so I can fit things together in my head. I think um, it, no, I th- I, to me it matters because it's like, she knows Luke. She knows Luke is out there. She also, in that scene, very she was very deferential to Luke, calling him the master, right? And, like, he's the decision maker. It feels to me like, now that we're in this part of the timeline, if, if Thrawn comes back and things get dire enough, don't you think she would call upon Luke? Yeah, or she'd have to have a good reason not to. Or, you know, he'd have to have a reason not to. Um, so... I almost want to rewatch Ahsoka now, even though it's, we just watched it. This was this before. With that in mind, because I've been watching the whole thing, assuming that this is before she's helping Luke. Like she smiled a lot more in, in the Mandalorian um, than she did in like Episode One and Two here. Um, Charmed I'm, by I'm, Grogu, just like the rest of us. Clearly, but her and her Huyang are acting and talking as if she's the last remnant of the Jedi and that she needs to have a Padawan to continue the tradition kind of thing. Or at least that's how I had read it. Maybe I was reading that wrong. Maybe that was all me, actually, because I think what they say could easily just be, look, Ahsoka, I think you need a Padawan because I think it's good for you. Maybe yeah. that's what they were really getting at. But it felt it felt like they were the only, the most Jedi-ish people that they knew. Um makes me want to rewatch it and, and take it specifically with 
She was just hanging out with Luca. She, Luke. She knows that people are being trained by him. She doesn't want to be there. She wants to be out on her own instead. That's an interesting thing. I don't know what that means. Do you? No, maybe, maybe I mean, nothing really important. Maybe it doesn't really make a difference because she's still the same person and she's still just traveling around because what she's comfortable with. But I don't know. I think even in that the state that we saw pre Ahsoka the White, I still think that it would be natural for her to seek Luke out, knowing that he's the, the son of Anakin and the last remaining Jedi Master in the universe. Mm-hmm. And especially, um, Oh no! And and if and if she sought him out, and if she were to meet him, and he said, "Hey, I'm building a Jedi Academy," it would make sense to me that she'd hang out there for a little while. Um, and so and I think that all that, that all contracts. No. Like like that, she'd say, "Like I'll help you build it, but I'm not gonna teach Jedi. I'm not I'm not a Jedi or whatever." I, well, I that's why her saying that she's not a Jedi, but it, I guess it does make sense. She wouldn't actually stick around and live there. That's where I think knowing Ahsoka, like having seen the cartoons might help just a little bit because mm-hmm. she did, she, she, it wasn't that like Ahsoka and Anakin just sort of lost touch and they left. I mean, she stood before the Jedi Council and was, was kicked out. And yeah. then Yoda, Yoda came to her specifically and said, Hey, we fucked that up, which by the way, Yoda in that entire scene, seemed to know they were fucking up then, but he goes to her afterwards and says, Hey, we fucked up. Please come. You know, you, you can come back. He didn't say, please come back, but he said, you can come back. And she said, no, like I, I am no longer a Jedi. I leave the Jedi order. So like, yeah. it was a very formal thing for her to be, to break with the Jedi. And so for, and, and you know that Luke very much, he doesn't view himself as a quasi Jedi. He very much no. views himself as a Jedi trained by Yoda, son of Anakin Skywalker, starting a, Jedi Academy, I could see her saying, I'm not technically in this. Like that, that, yeah. that, that still holds for me. But I, I see your point that it is interesting that she took a Padawan after that. And I think that that, that is something I wish they'd tease out a little bit in her logic because yeah. it does, does track to me that she would tell Luke, I'm not a Jedi. I very, very formally left the Jedi order. So I can't, I can't train here with you. But then, then when she picks up Sabine, I'd like to know her logic there. Yeah, so my only I, – I have two thoughts. One would be, you know, like I, I would buy it if it's Hu Yang knows that Ahsoka is better when she has a – again, I'm going to pull in Doctor Who whenever I can. She's better when she has a companion. She's better. They're better when they're together. They're always better when they're together. Um, but that, that she is a better Ahsoka when she has a sidekick. Um, or, uh, you know, or I guess she did great when she was the sidekick, too. So it could be that. Um, I don't know. The, I kind of the I would try to think she clearly does care about Sabine. Why would she train Sabine instead of sending her to Luke? And I think it might be Luke would have said, you have no force powers. You cannot be a Jedi. And she's like, all right, fine. You're not a Jedi. Come be a whatever I am. Kind of thing. Whatever, I don't think what, there's I think I, there's a zero percent chance Luke would have trained Sabine. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. He, he, he is maybe not going to be picky. But he definitely does want force users. That's kind of what he thinks the Jedi are, and he's not wrong. And they, and Ahsoka might be drawing a distinction between what Luke is doing, which is a which is um he probably he he's more mirroring the the Jedi Temple and the training mm-hmm. of the Jedi that we saw in the prequels than not. Like he is mirroring that. Like look, he's she, almost read he almost read the sacred texts. He almost almost got through, almost. <laughs> almost got through all of them. Yeah, bit dry. 
uh, he, uh, did draw inflammable, it turns out. He, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he very much is modeling that, right? And Ahsoka saw an up close example of a Jedi being trained, quote, in the wild, like we have references to in this show, which was Kanan, um, training Ezra. And, and she's like, Kanan was trained at the Jedi Academy, but by the time he was training Ezra, he thought he was the only Jedi left. This was after Order 66. Um, so she might be, she might draw a distinction between those two types of training that the, she might think they're different. So some would call uh, Ezra's training, Bokan training, which is from, you know, the, 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 the thingy thing from the other day. I would like to call it, there's a special kind of Japanese tradition where you use gold to put these two pieces <laughs> of something broken together. Uh, I can't remember the name it. of it. That's probably um, it. Hold on, let me text Spencer. He'll help us figure out okay. what the Spencer will help us out. Uh, He's real good with what, Whatever that's it. called. Uh, about octopuses. I don't know. I, go watch that episode, everybody. It was a good one. So good. And then we hear a familiar voice. Mon Mothma says, 3PO. And I did enjoy, I'm not enjoying this, this Mothma character uh, in Ahsoka. Not not enjoying it. I'm frustrated with her within the universe. Let me say it that way. I'm not, you, it's not like her in movies. If you liked her in books, you liked her in Andor here. I have an explanation. Actually, I think I know why she's like this, but you don't enjoy how she, her characters changed and weakened and diminished, but I'm frustrated with her. Right? I'm frustrated with her within the story. I don't, yeah. I don't find it like overly inconsistent necessarily yet. I, I I'm just like, Damn it, Ma. Like, I just want to shake the character, right? Anyway, but I do enjoy how warm she is with 3PO. She, she, she clearly knows 3PO. He's a charming droid. She's, hey, 3PO, come on in. And she welcomes him warmly, says he can speak. Senator Ziano seems to be, um, real awful droidist. I mean, he is, he's terrible. And, um, humanist? What would we call that? Droidist? Humanist? Something. He doesn't like droids. And he says he objects in the strongest terms to 3PO being able to come in and provide his testimony. But Mothma allows it. 3PO says the transcript shows, which he's wielding about in his in that their hand, that Senator Organa, ah, there we go, a Leia reference, personally sanctioned Hera's mission, and she was simply unaware. Senator Ziano had held a vote against such a mission without her, which I liked that, that that little drop there. Yeah. Um, what do you think about 3PO's entrance here? Uh, I thought that it was very funny that he thinks the rules don't apply to him, that he doesn't have to show identification and just wander into a court-martial hearing with the heads of the entire yeah, uh, galaxy's yeah. government. This would be akin to like <laughs> like, a, like a fucking like Senate page walking into like the Judiciary Committee, like a confirmation process and being like, wait a second, I got something to say. I mean, more so. <laughs> it's like... Hmm. It's like if it's like if George Lucas decided that he could just walk into a U.N. Security Council and he just like, <laughs> I don't need to show you my ID. I'm George Lucas. And it's like, this is the U.N. Security Council, sir. Yeah, like, but, yeah, but sure, you up in the Star Wars. Yeah, but, I mean, but it's 3PO. Like, and, you know, Mothmud certainly doesn't need any any identification. Th- there's a mm. lot of 3PO or, or protocol droids. I almost didn't recognize him without the red arm. <laughs> Sorry, that's still my favorite line for the entire sequels. Is him? Oh, you, you probably didn't recognize me because of the red arm. Yeah, that's right. Still my yeah. favorite line. I love it so much. I'll, I'll die still loving that line. Ziana uh, says they can't accept this type of evidence from a mere droid, which gets a hold me back, hold me back from Chopper. I'll tell you, Chopper's nuts. Um, 
I gave an example in the podcast of Chopper committing droid murder at one point. Uh, there's also another scene that made the rounds recently of um, this show of uh, Chopper wanting to uh, destroy something and Hera saying, we can't do that because if we destroy it, it'll it'll fall onto the city and kill a bunch of people. And the the people have, have slowed the clip down and teased out what Chopper said in response to that. Chopper actually said, is that a problem? Back to Hera. <laughs> Hera was like, yeah, it's a problem if we just kill like a thousand people. Yeah, we can't do that. Chopper, Chopper's fucking gangster. He, uh, he's a wild as fuck. So it doesn't surprise me that Chopper's ready to, to take a swing at Senator Ziano. Carson has to quiet him. 3PO class act that he is ignores that though and says Senator Organa is willing to overlook this misstep, but asks that you address any further concerns to her directly in her role as leader of the Defense Council, which I will absolutely love this reference because it is a direct tie-in to the book Bloodline, which is a new Disney canon book about Princess Leia post-Return of the Jedi. And she is at, when, this, when the book starts, she is the head of the Defense Council. And she is butting heads directly with the rest of the Senate, and particularly Mon Mothma, on this uh, topic of how much defense, how much military should they keep on standby in this, quote, post-imperial world. And she's losing that battle. She wants to keep a significant military. Mothma, the others do not. During the course of this book, spoiler alert, in case you want to read it, uh, it, it's not really that much. It says it on the back of the book. That's the whole point of the book. People, it becomes public knowledge that she's Darth Vader's daughter. And when that political scandal hits, it severely affects her political capital and her standing in the universe. She becomes way less popular just to basically fight through this crisis. Fantastic book. But that little, that little detail about her role in the New Republic post Return of the Jedi is connected here in the story. I thought it was great. So I, I do want to say that, you know, the idea of Mon Mothma being a weak leader here, I can understand being irritated by it. It sounds like I mean, I, I'm going to give her credit that she's irritated by it, too. But, you know, she was a great rebel. She was a great infiltrator. She was fantastic. Great, yeah, she was really you know, good. She, she, she did wonderful at that at planning, and she's still good at all those things. But you can be the best. Mur- uh, yeah, if you're the best soldier and then it's peacetime, you kind of got to stop doing the killing part of that. If you're the best at being a dictator because you want to put a republic in place, you kind of have to stop dictating once you get the republic in place. I feel like that's where she is. Not that she was a dictator, but, you know, she was used to, Hera was used to, we do the things that need doing, and we are confident that we're on the right side of history and morals in the universe, and they are, um, you know, partially because it's a Disney movie, so the heroes need to be at least slightly heroic. But, you know, a little bit of luck and a little bit of them trying to be the best people they could be, and that they were up against literal space Nazis helps. But now they're done, and they can't keep doing that. And Hera thinks that she can, or thinks that she should be able to. And Mon knows that she actually not only can't, but that she shouldn't. Like, she shouldn't go around the Senate. And if the Senate outvotes her, she can hate their decision, but she kind of should respect the process and the rule of law, and that the rule of law matters more as a concept, and her respecting it matters more than her actually getting almost any specific thing that she wants done the way that she wants it, even if she's right, I think. Um, and and well, I have a second thought. Does that make sense? Does that help at all? Or is it just like, yeah, I get it. I hate it. Though. 
No, no. I think there's so I think there's two separate issues here. Um, <clears throat> the first is the discussion about how much defense capacity the new republic should keep. And then the second is Mon Mothma, how much power should she assume in her role within the new republic politic? Should she step in and do things kind of like what Leia just did here when she thinks something is kind of going sideways, but it's but it's going according to the process? Or should she let it play out? Should she cede power? Right. I think those are two separate things, because like Leia's point and Hera's point and Ahsoka's point and a lot of these people that their point isn't that like isn't that we should, you know, have a big military during peacetime. They 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 think that they 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 agree with the logic that if the unit if the universe is at peace, we don't need a we don't need to keep fighting a war. They agree with that. What they disagree with is the fact that there still is a significant imperial presence out there. Like yeah. they they that's where they're, they're like we're just not at that point yet. That's what they that's what they think they're arguing is. <clears throat> Everybody says, oh, well, it's peacetime. We shouldn't have a, a big military. And, and Leia goes, that's true if it was peacetime, but it's not actually peacetime. There's still an awful lot of imperial remnants out there, which we actually have gotten evidence of between Mandalorian season three and, and then now this season. We've gotten evidence that they are right, that there are a significant amount of imperial remnants out there. <clears throat> the piece about right. Mon, Mothma's, Mon Mothma's role, um, I actually am glad you put it that way because I, I kind of do respect her pulling back and letting the process play out, even if she knows she has the political capital to step in and change it, but she's not going to do that because this isn't an empire through that lens. I actually kind of respect it. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm, you know, faking this or making it up or giving them too much credit. I think that's what it is. Uh, It could be that she wants more power, but honestly, she seems she was good at infiltrating because she was part of like the system all along kind of thing. And I don't know. It, yeah, I, I, I'll give her credit. for it. it is interesting. Um, and I don't know how much you want to take parallels and I don't know how much you want to get into any specific politics, but the idea that there is a thing that would be good to do, but if you do it too early, it causes problems in this case. Yeah. You know, the thing I'm thinking about is if you, the idea of a world where no one, you know, is racist at all is great. But if you pretend you're in that world and you're not, it, it kind of allows racism to go unchecked and unanalyzed and unfought against. That's a, it's a you, great, great comparison, I think. Yeah. And well, it's, it's maybe even on the nose because space Nazis. But if you it, it would be great to have a world where you don't have a military, where you don't have where you have maybe the, the police peacekeepers. But I mean, how many Jedi were there? Uh, hundreds of peacekeepers for the entire galaxy. That's yeah, yeah, basically there, no there, police. I think there were like a thousand Jedi, right? Like I think it was yeah, it, it was a big, pretty big number. Yeah, but not for a whole galaxy. Like that's not a big number for a galaxy. That's Correct. not a big number for an army. Yes. Um, so, and that's great, and that is a, the goal, and should be the goal, and is a worthy goal, and you should talk about that goal. But if you try to do that too early, then somehow Palpatine returns because you don't have an army because you assumed you weren't at war anymore. You pretended that the problem had been fixed um, because it was easy and pleasant to do so. And instead of actually acknowledging the bad that is all around you still and actually doing what you had to do, which starts with acknowledging it and seeing it. 
So, um, uh, this is a, a complete side. I'm, I'm going off the rails. I'm sorry. Sleep deprivation. <clears throat> no, like, um, so did you ever, did you hear, did you ever read that Tolkien was going to write a sequel to Lord of the Rings? I did. I know a bit about that. <clears throat> Maybe not as much as you, though. I found out you're an even bigger fan of that than I am. So, so go ahead. The, the, the general premise, he only wrote a couple of pages about this and it was found in his notes afterwards. He decided it wasn't worth writing, so he didn't write it. But his general idea was that this is the rule of Aragorn's son. Like, like Aragorn's son is like, you know, 200 years old because he still has the Numenorean bloodline, right? So he, he lives a long time. His, you, and he, now he have like, elven blood too, right? His mom so, it's something, so it's something like 300 years or something after the end of Lord of the Rings, right? And the people of Middle-earth have started to view like orcs and the threat of evil as a joke. Like they kind of like, they make fun of the idea. Oh, the orcs are coming. Like, and it's, it's this idea of like forgetting, forgetting the, the sacrifices and pains of your forefathers and getting comfortable and evil reappearing. Right. That was the, the general concept of what he wanted to write about. And I think he was writing it through the post World War One lens of like, okay, we had this war and then like a new generation is coming along and forgetting that we had this war and why we had this war, why he thought they had this war and, um, you know, evil sort of springing up again in the world. And I think that that that's a really like um, relatable story to tell to our history. So it makes perfect sense to me that they would they'd have this big seminal moment at the Battle of Endor and they would think, oh, man, we did it. We vanquished evil and they would get complacent. And make jokes like Senator Ziano's, like making jokes about the idea that there could be the empire out there. Um, and then Palpatine returns, right? Like we're always going to make fun of the line Palpatine returns and maybe having Palpatine be the force that came back wasn't the greatest move because th- that took people out of it a little bit, but having some evil reappear because the galaxy got complacent is a great story to tell and does make a lot of sense to me. So the, all this is, I think it's super consistent with how, like, I would, I would see this politically playing out. Well, and it's it's a little bit human nature, and, and so I was going to say, to take it away from you know politics, and you know, it's been made a little bit political. Um, you know, the, the Spanish flu, flu, you know, a hundred years ago, they kind of didn't talk about it afterwards. It went away, and they like stopped. They stopped talking about it in a way that people have kind of noted, maybe it's happening again, where people just once it's done don't want to talk about it, but. Thinking of diseases, you have smallpox actually like get eradicated. So now the only people who need to get vaccinated are people who are somehow dealing with the few samples that exist, as opposed to, you know, like polio that's mostly eradicated. But as soon as you start to think it's not important is when it could still come back kind of thing. So pretending Mm -hmm. that you're in the one case when you're actually in the other is really a problem and you know i i don't think that's the central thesis of star wars but honestly with the with the sequels at least it might as well be that's almost the less it probably is it probably is the central thesis of the sequels yeah it probably is yeah well you you know actually maybe it is because with luke talking about like that the evil is always there and if you ignore its existence it's a problem if you pretend it's not there um or if you just try to say that it's unacceptable it has to be eradicated the moment you see a glimpse of it but you so that you can pretend it doesn't exist anymore. Um, what I remember, uh, you know, a lot of the Tolkien's of I had seen was about how you can get the good guys win and then become authoritarian. And that's, and he thought that that was just too depressing. Um, and maybe that was slightly different. It was like if Gandalf had gotten the ring, he would have won. 
but he would have become really authoritarian and it would have been even more depressing and dark. He's like, that's not fun to read or write. I don't want to do that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Mon Mothman's like, no, I, I, I reject the ring. I will, I will return to the West End of Coruscant and diminish. Yeah. Good yeah. for her. I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it back. She's, if you think about it through that, she's the hatcher. If you think about it through that lens. Oh yeah. No, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling it. We're going you to think about it. it through that lens. It's actually, you, you do kind of respect Mothma, but I think that the problem I have with her is that like, even within that system, I just wish she would advocate a bit more for, Hey, we're not at the place where we can just like completely like give up our military. Um, it, that, it, that's, it she just true. has that, she has that calculation wrong. It, it is true. Choosing to not be a dictator is different than being you know, ineffectual at convincing people or yeah. acknowledging when or in things where you have the ability to assert authority sometimes, knowing when to do that doesn't mean never doing that. And when right. you have an existential threat, you know, uh, Spencer's not here, so I can talk about law. One of those first Supreme Court cases basically said, we can take the land of America because if we don't, we don't have a country. Therefore, we need it so we can do it. Yay, manifest destiny. And as far as I know, that might still be good law just because it hasn't really come up or been fought against. But the idea of successful countries and nations and galaxies have to deal slightly differently with existential threats than they do about other things. I don't know. I think I feel like that's what Hare is doing, of saying, no, I don't pull rank all the time or I would have been kicked out. But what good is being a general if I can't pull rank when it's an existential threat? Yeah, that's the that's the difference. So I think I think I agree with you that Hera, not not you, but the 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 opinion you espoused earlier in the podcast that she has, you can't just like flout the system. Even you know if the process plays out correctly and you just don't like the answer, that doesn't mean you get to go around it. However, there is the nuclear option, right? And I think that Thrawn is the nuclear option, and I think that we're gonna go, when when we see. This is my, just my prediction. When we see the havoc and the real threat to the New Republic that Thrawn ends up being, because I think he, he's going to come within like a hair's breadth of taking the New Republic away. Like when they when they see all that, these conversations are going to be a little bit silly in retrospect. That they were mad at Hera for taking three ships to go try to stop it. Like they'll think, fucking a three ships. Like we should have sent should have sent every fucking thing we had to stop this, right? Um, yeah, but we'll see. I, I, I do feel kind of. I, I thought she was going to like pull a, you know, through the, the story of the 300 where she's like, I'm not going on a mission. I'm going sightseeing. These guys are just coming with me. I really thought <laughs> she was going to do that. And I was going to like that. We're like, I don't know what you all are complaining about. We just went on a trip for a training exercise. Like I kind of wish she had just done that. That would have been a smarter thing. And I think this is why, um. Do you mean to tell me that our Hera, our Hera did not come up with the best excuse for taking those ships, and there was something I'll, she left on the. Our Hera? No. Look, no. All, I'm saying, all I'm saying is that uh, I have a retraction <laughs> from you know ten minutes ago. As it turns out, you do not have to hand it to Hera for anything ever. Just no, ever. we don't like Hera around here. All right, so no, um, no, no. Mothma, we don't like Hera. But Mothma ask. Um, Hera, what the real threat of Thrawn coming back is, and she gives a answer which I wish she would have phrased differently. Um, yeah, she wasn't. She answer. wasn't. She wasn't firm enough. She said, "We need to prepare for the best and hope for the worst." Uh, that's, what you say, for, that's what you yeah. say when you have a, a picnic the worst, outside, the worst a kid's birthday party. Is a terrible answer. A, she should have said, uh, "Mon, he's he's coming back. Like he he really is, and this is a real problem." That would that would have been a little bit better. 
The weakest that you could have said is our enemies think he's coming back or Ahsoka thinks he's coming back. Like saying either of those would actually still be pretty weak, but like that would get the point across. Yeah, I like I the like idea of Ahsoka thinks he's coming back. That would have really yeah. carried weight with Mothma. Yeah, I think I think if you said Ahsoka thinks he's coming back or our enemies think he's coming back. Either one of those would work in the scene, would work for the character and would actually have gravitas as opposed to this one, which is a really stupid platitude. And it's it's it means it doesn't answer the question at all. No, I didn't like it at all. It it it. it she's our hair. Our hair. Our 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 who maxed out her charisma and and good at conversion skills. Who became a general because of her ability to communicate what? with people. Um. No, not it, her. It's. It, it it actually made me very, very briefly furious because the entire communication there is pretty much by the musical background of this is serious and both of these people understand that it's serious. But I feel like she could have said yabada dooey in the same tone and it would have been just as effective in that moment. Or I mean, she literally could have said giddy up. She could have said the word giddy up in that same tone with that same music behind and same like stern eyebrows. And it would have had the exact same emotional and plot point relevance and been maybe more intelligent, actually. Yeah, I agree. It, it was a terrible answer, and she left a great opportunity to convey the urgency to Mothma there. Um, I mean, she could have said at a minimum, you know, Ahsoka thinks it's so it's so Ahsoka thinks that it's such a threat that she fucking went to another galaxy on the back yeah. of a space whale. I, if you said Ahsoka bet her life on it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what she did. Pretty, yeah. Gosh. Wait, anyway. Are, are, um, are we sure Are we sure about Hera's species? Could she be a goldfish? Could she have a memory of just like <laughs> could uh, be. one episode? Maybe she doesn't remember. Oh, Hera. Yeah, she, she's frustrating. So then we see Ahsoka training, and the cool part about this is that we got another Anakin scene, and it was a recording, that she, the last recording, that he had given her to play while training during the Clone Wars. And there we get a couple of cool references. We get General Grievous, your favorite favorite named character in all of Star Wars, um, Aja Ventress and Doku. So it's some just some names from the Clone Wars there. It's kind of cool tie in. Hu Yang comes in. She said Anakin made twenty more of these recordings. This is the last one. And Hu Yang, man, he's always cataloging stuff, right? He goes, very thoughtful. I never realized. I think what that was kind of strange phrasing. I took Hu Yang's point there to say that was a thoughtful thing he did for you. I did not realize he was that thoughtful. And then she kind of piggybacked on that and said, yeah, he was actually a good master. Um, she didn't say actually. She said he was a good master. And he's just sort of reaffirming that to Yang. Um, is that how you, you got that interaction? I didn't, but I like it. I really got it as he was kind of surprised that he didn't know these recordings we made. I took it actually as just a little bit of a peek into who Yang generally knew what the masters and the apprentices were doing. And he's, Pleased and impressed, but kind of surprised that he didn't know. And that it may be surprised that Ahsoka never mentioned them or didn't maybe even a tongue in cheek jab about how like we've been together a long time and you've never played these before. Hmm, maybe. But I, I think you might be right. I, I think your your reading of it um fits the tone a little better of the scene. And how because he's always Sassy Robot is fun though. So I kinda like my idea just because Sassy Robot's fun. Sassy Robot's fun. We get a lot of Sassy Robot with Chopper. I think that, um, yeah, that's what we're getting a lot from Hu Yang is that he, he likes to learn people. 
Um, he likes yep. to learn how they are, how they operate. Um, so Zoka says he's a good master. Says you need anything. She says the Hu Yang says the whales might be dropping out of hyperspace. Um, and they do. Uh, they drop out of hyperspace. And when they do, it's a fucking minefield because Thrawn ordered that last episode and he had pizza so, and imperial mines out there. That is not what Thrawn ordered. And actually, this made me. This made. Hmm. This undermined my response. Well, he said, to Tom, briefly. he said destroy yes. the presidents. With right. prejudice. Presidents. Did they destroy a single fucking whale? They knew where they were popping up. They knew when they were popping up. And he said destroy them with prejudice and not a single dead whale. Either his troops are weak, which he's kind of indicated maybe they are. They're incompetent. And he didn't seem to care about either of those. Hmm. What the hell? I What the hell? Okay, so I yeah not being thrown, being weak and ineffectual in a way that seems uncharacteristic from everything else we see. Well, I think we get uh, we know we know from Thrawn, but, but I think you also get enough evidence in the show to show that he doesn't like putting resources at risk, specifically people. So the idea that he would send the the mines the the minefield makes a lot of sense to me because he doesn't have mm-hmm. to risk risk his ships and risk his people with that. I took it as the the whales were going to be destroyed, but they just jumped back into hyperspace so fast that they weren't able to actually kill them. So maybe the whales are tougher than he thought. He's never fought the whales before, maybe. Or well, no, I mean I don't. No, I mean I, too quick. No, I mean his order was attack them, destroy them, right? And the fact that they jumped into hyperspace again, you know, immediately upon seeing the threat, I'm not sure that's something that Thrawn couldn't have foreseen. I. I I don't think he's that. I don't think he's that concerned. That's what they yeah. do. It's like the only he's thing not, they do. Right. He's not. Uh, but he's not that concerned with killing the space whale. He's he's trying to root Probably out. So, uh, yeah, he's trying to root out Ahsoka, which is exactly what he did. Like he was able to get Ahsoka. Okay. Now there, there's the Jedi ship. That's what we're after. He doesn't care about the whales. And when the Jedi ship came out, great. He now he now he has a line on Ahsoka, and um, I think that he gives some evidence later in the episode that. It all kind of goes according to a very loose plan for him. I mean, he sure he'd been happy if Sabine and Ezra died, but ultimately he was trying to create a diversion, get them away, so that he can get the hell out of there. Yeah. Um, so there does seem to be some inconsistency there, though, which maybe is me just being dense. Because um, what I is the love... inconsistency? That's explain it to us. So the inconsistency is that he seems really. <sighs> He seems to want to just leave and leave these people stuck here, but he also sends resources, and he seems to almost flip-flop between those in a way that when he's talking seems to make sense. But when you look at actually the timeline and the resources, seems inconsistent. Am I perhaps reading the timeline wrong or not being charitable enough or something? No, I mean, I think that he thinks that taking out Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka would be great. That'd be fine. So he's willing to test out the abilities of the mercenaries that he has, right? Because he knows that they are, they're force users, they're, they're Jedi-ish. So he's like, okay, great, let's give that a shot. But ultimately, if it doesn't work, he's, it's, a, it's that thing you've talked about in Star Wars before that Palpatine did all the time. Either way, he's going to win. Because yeah. they're either because the, the mercenaries are going to go out and kill these this group of people, which he doesn't want around anyway. Great, awesome. And if they don't, then he still has created a diversion so that Ahsoka's not stopping him from leaving, and he can still get the hell out of there. So it's a win-win for him. 
So you've helped me. So um, I, I buy this completely, actually, specifically because of an unrelated line that he said, um, which means maybe I'm reading into it too much or maybe this is actually really intentional, uh, seeding the context. He knows to not underestimate the Jedi. He knows to not assume the Jedi are dead or that they're off the board until you have their body cold. Yeah, yeah, uh, for and, sure. Pre- and, pre- and preferably then shred it up a little bit. You never know. Um, so, yeah, he could just leave and strand them here, but he would have to spend the rest of his life knowing they might pop up. Like, they could surprise him at any moment of they found a whale to bring them home. Um, and so it would be worth a not insubstantial amount of resources to kill them if there's a chance of doing so. And as you said, and, and as he specifically says, we lost some guys, but they lost some time, and that's a net positive for us. Yeah. Um, so I I think I actually do accept that, where, uh, yes, expending resources to try to kill them, even as I'm explicitly saying I don't care if they die, that does make sense. Okay, you fix and this it. Is, you can, and you it's, can keep going if you want. And it's a very Thrawn thing to do because, like, he, he very often, and I hope we get more of this, he doesn't like to set up situations where it's like, one decision point and he wins or loses. That is never how Thrawn seems to operate. He likes to create situations where it can go one of seven ways and all seven he wins, but to varying degrees. Like there's a, there's a way he shoots the moon and like, Oh great. Like I, I got everything I wanted, but then it could all go to hell and he still would accomplish something. That's kind of like the decision tree he usually maps out. So this was very like consistent with the character as I know him. It worked pretty well for me. So um, in this, he Thrawn is told, "Hey, Ahsoka, uh, or there's a T six Jedi shuttle here, and that, that came out of the the whales, right?" And he assumes it's Ahsoka correctly. Elspeth delivers the dossier on Ahsoka, and he asks for that he asked for last episode. Takes one look at it. The first thing out of his mouth is her, is her mass. Her master was General Anakin Skywalker? Question mark. So in the new canon, I'll explain this just very quickly. Um, I do think it adds a little bit of help to the scene. Um, after Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader, there was kind of confusion around who the fuck this guy is. Like in the within the Empire, like. They had no idea. All they knew was like, okay, this is just some pal of Palpatine. He didn't really have a clear military role. Um, the Inquisitors hadn't quite gotten started yet, and there was confusion about him. And Thrawn, by having had studied the Jedi, which we got an evidence of by him being able to correctly identify Balin's skull in this in this this series, he had done a lot of research into the Jedi. He was able to piece together that Anakin Skywalker was Darth Vader, and he actually semi-confronted Vader about it. Like, he he hinted at it enough to make Vader uncomfortable, and Vader was like, you will not speak of this again. Basically, like, I'll fucking kill you if you say this again. So he was, like, one of the few people in the empire that actually knew this secret. So when he says, Oh, her, her master general and general Anakin Skywalker, um, even though he missed episode four, five and six, right? Like where he maybe would have learned through the grapevine that Anakin Skywalker was Darth Vader. He knows that. So, um, my question to you then is considering that context that he knows Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. And that's the very first thing he picks up on the dossier. What did you make of that reaction? How did you how did you feel like he was taking that news and how did that affect how he views yeah, how he how he viewed Ahsoka? So I took it as 
she is interesting and he would like to meet her is what I took it as. It could also be she is probably a bigger threat than I thought and we need to take yeah. her seriously. Could be either one of those. I while watching it, I thought it was the first one of we can use her. She is interesting. Maybe she can be turned. Maybe I can learn things from her. I, I want to talk with her it was my first takeaway. Um, but if it really is, she's a bigger threat than you all probably realize. She's, you know, trained by the best. She probably knows things she shouldn't know. We need to take her out. I, I would buy that also. I think it's probably all those things and more, right? And it's also, it's also what he says later in this episode that he views, um, that he views, uh, her as maybe emotional or somebody who can make rash decisions, right? Like he, he's probably in taking all of this information that like, Oh, okay. That probably means she's very, very strong in the force can kill a lot of people fight really well. Um, probably charismatic, energetic, but also there's weaknesses here. So he's probably in taking a lot of information by learning that she's Anakin Skywalker's, uh, pad one. So she says, Elizabeth tells him, yes, this is, uh, her master was General Anakin Skywalker. Thrawn confirms there's only one starship. His guy, his lead guy, tells Thrawn they've chased her into the debris field. And Thrawn's like, hey, great. Awesome. Withdraw the fighters. She's in the debris field. And uh, Elsbeth doesn't like this. And he goes, there is no need to waste our resources. They make, they, they're taking great pains in the writing. We're not getting a ton of Thrawn scenes, right? But, like, they want to show you that he doesn't waste resources the same way Palpatine wasted resources. Um, and I like that they're drawing that distinction very quickly for the character. I hope they don't overdo it over time, but they're making sure we know that. Or Darth um, Vader. What does Darth Vader do? Darth Vader says, follow them into the debris field, follow them into the asteroid field. And he's like, no, like they'll probably survive. Our folks really might not. So let's like do something else. She's like, well, without pursuit, we'll lose them. And he's like, you're quite right, of course. The Jedi are good at hiding. They've been practicing that for years. Um, he also I, says they're – go ahead. I was going to say, I, I do love – this is a small thing. I don't want to lean too much on it. Um, and it might just be that the actor is doing a great job of being charismatic with it. When he's telling people, like, you're, you're a fucking idiot, he's not. He's, he's still saying, like, you're right. Like he, he he's he's handling the people around him in a very normal way, creepy normal sometimes. Of just like that's a great question, or yeah, yeah, that's an excellent insight. But you may have missed considering. He says it in a more forceful way, but like you may not be applying this other part. Um, you know, even Sabine, he somehow talks with her more more respect than I probably would. Um, but right there, he's like, you're right. Yeah, we will lose her. That's a good worry. Gold star for you, witch. But, you know, I'm Thrawn, so we're going to do my thing. There are way more things to like about Thrawn than I think people will guess from the first few episodes of Ahsoka, who didn't know him, right? Because he's kind of introduced as, like, heir to the Empire. He's going to be the next big thing. He's, he's going to come across and be basically the next emperor. But I think that I'm happy. I have faith here that they're going to give us the Timothy's on Thrawn. They're not going to like muck it up. And if that's the case, then like, all right, I, I'll drop my guard for 10 seconds. He's still a bad guy. Okay. All right. All right that's it. I'm not going to say it again, but there's a lot of things Thank to you. like. Like me, I think me and the listeners needed to hear you say that just so we knew how much <laughs> of a bit it is. We're perfectly fine with he, the heel, but if the heel is like, 
too much? Like, let us know that we're not he, actually look, like. He's he is okay. think about that. Yeah, got, got it. right. right. But okay. there is a lot more to like in him than most villains, and it's going to fuck with people because there are going to be moments where you're like, "Damn, he's a good fucking leader," or well, "Shit, that's exactly the right move." Like, man, I wish my boss would do things like that, or think like that, or talk like that. But there's going, but that I think will eventually get to places where it's like, oh, but this, he's also like willing to enslave whole, like five planets. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two things that I think they've done a good job on that I noticed of him kind of being a good leader. Uh, and they're doing, a, they're doing a little bit of telling instead of showing, but not in a way that bothered me at the time. So I think it's fine because they are trying to fit a lot of showing you or telling you, or you understanding his thing when it's not the Thrawn show, there's a lot else they need to fit into these short episodes. Uh, one is, you know, I, I've heard it called based on the Disney's gargoyles, the Xanados gambit, the idea of if I win, I win. If you win, I win because I am setting up the rules and the playing field. And I understand you enough to know that no matter what you do, not only have I anticipated it, and it's not even that I can thwart you. It's that if you do the thing that avoids my thwarting, I still win because somehow I've set it up. So that favors me too. Um, and he, he kind of says it where we can't just chase after her. We can't just try to fight her and outmaneuver her and uh, meet her with force. But what we can do is set the playing field so that she thinks she's making her own choices. But whatever choice she makes is one that we that leads to our victory. And they say it. And I love it. And I love characters who can do that. You know, I've heard it described as like Batman thinking also of just thinking five steps ahead, but in a much less symbolic and linear way than in chess, just where you really are thinking whatever choice you make, I don't care. Like if you're, I think, I think Spencer said, you don't ask a question in, uh, in court unless you know the answer or don't care what the answer is. And when he's dealing with an enemy, he either knows the answer, it seems like, where he knows what they're going to do and is able to, and knows he will win, or he doesn't care what their answer is because he's prepared for any possible answer and all the answers are good for him. And they say it and they do it, and I like that. Yeah, so then we get cut to the planet. We see Ezra with Sabine, and they're in one of the vehicles with the Noti. I uh, love the Noti. I don't like the clothes, as we discussed last time, but I do like the Noti. I think they're they're good. And then we get this conversation, which they, I was hoping we get. They Velcro around the butt. Yeah, let's, yeah, if we could, if we could, if we could, yeah. if we could hand wave the clothes, I do think that they're exactly what Star Wars does with a lot of these other species, which is they're plucky, they're, there's a lot to like, there's loyalty, there's cool things about these characters. I, I, I like them and their insertion here, but the, we did get this conversation, which I was fucking hoping we would get because these people left before episode four. This is after Return of the Jedi. Someone has to go. What the fuck? Like, thank God we finally got somebody going, wait a second. The Empire was defeated. Battle of Endor. The Emperor died? That's what people say. Eh, okay, kind of a joke there, right? But there's a new Republic. Seb's training new recruits. Hera's commanding the fleet. Like, there's a lot of shit that's happened in this 10 years, and it's. I'm glad that they at least gave a couple lines to show that it's it's a lot for Ezra to process. So I appreciated I, that. I, I saw a joke online, and it was, um, imagine this conversation but the witches getting thrown up to speed. Like, so we lost? Yeah, we kind of lost. The Emperor died? Yeah, he died. <laughs> died. Yeah, he turned good and then died. We killed Yoda? Yeah, we killed Yoda. But there's a new Yoda? Yeah, there's a new Yoda. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, you know, probably look, would have been Thrawn's going to have to update a lot of his planning if he doesn't, if he hasn't been kept up to date. I'm just saying. Thrawn would have probably been more happy. He doesn't show a lot of emotion, obviously, but he would he would he would probably be more pleased at the fall of the Jedi than up that if this makes any sense than upset that the Emperor and Darth Vader died. Like he, yes, he served the Emperor, but like there was uh, wheels within wheels where he might end up killing the fucking Emperor at some point. Like he 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 wasn't yeah. like a, he wasn't just like a kiss the ring guy. Like eventually it would have gotten sideways for Palpatine with Ron. Like he was, pro- but he has always distrusted and hated the Jedi. So the idea that Jedi fell was probably like the biggest piece of information for him. And honestly, it sounds from what you've said, because I know nothing about Thrawn except for this show and this podcast. Basically, um, Sounds like this is almost all upside for him, because what has happened? The emperor who he respected at some level or whatever has created a power vacuum. So now there's nobody in his way and the Republic rebels have let their guard down and the Jedi have gone and the resistance is weak. And it sounds like everything's gotten better than he left. Yeah, I think he would in be upset way. about he would be upset about the the massive waste of resources of the two. De- he didn't like the Death Star anyway. He didn't he didn't even want to support it. But the idea that they both got blown up probably would, would piss him off. But, man, he probably loved the idea that the Jedi fell and that there's this power vacuum. Um yeah. So anyway, uh, Ezra's getting all this information and she, he eventually starts talking about like, Hey, uh, uh, you're, you're getting trained by Ahsoka. That's kind of strange. And you can tell from Ezra's reaction that he doesn't have a lot of faith in Sabine's abilities, which he did not in Rebels either. That's consistent. And then we see Balin and Shin on the hunt. We get the great. I was really funny to say, like, can you use the force? And and he doesn't even ask. It's like he he, he must somehow it's, think it's rude. Like it's rude to ask it, how strong somebody is in the force. Well, he he also has a big a massive crush on Sabine and has for fifteen years now. Um, okay. So, but yes, he he does he knows she doesn't she can't use the force. That's why he has that reaction. That's why he's like, what? Why? Like what? What? Uh, oh oh yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Yeah. Sure. I'm supportive. He knows it's a strange thing to be doing. Um, all right. Then we get the great mothers walk in. Thrawn says, great mothers, I'm in need of your assistance. Ahsoka Tano lies hidden within the graveyards. Find her. So they do. They do find her. But my question for you is, do they find her because she's calling out to Sabine? Or do they find her through this weird triangulation thing they're doing with the map? I have no idea. In fact, at the moment, I thought that they were um, like... Uh I'm probably getting the science wrong, but you can make things more conductive if you charge them a little first or something. I don't know if it's actually true, but there's some things I think are like that. that You can excite things so that they become more conductive. While I was watching, I actually thought that they were like facilitating her talking to Sabine so that they could listen in on the thing, that they were enabling them to make a connection sort of like what, um, you know, happened in episode eight, the idea of making this connection for other people so that you can listen in on them. I don't think that actually is what happened, though. I kind of like the idea. Maybe the writers, call me. I, I hear you're on strike. Maybe I can help out the strike's over. They're not. Um, they're no, Yeah, they're not anymore. But, yeah, I well, think. Uh, they they yeah. are on strike, but they're not picketing because they have a plan. Anyway, that dates this very specifically. Um, this is recording. Uh, I I think. I've got no idea. I don't know. I don't know what they just found. I felt, like, I felt like it, her calling out. Her calling out announced her presence. That, and I don't think there's an, I don't think there's like a correct answer because they, they, there's, 
it room for inter- there's room for interpretation here. I I'm going to view it as her calling out to Sabine was like a bullhorn in the Force, and right. they heard they heard her making noise in the Force, and they went, uh, "Okay, I think it's I think it's there." So I accept this, but I mostly accept it because it allows me to say, "Fucking Sabine again, ruining everything." Yep. Yep. Well, like, she got I, Ezra. That's why I accept it. She got Ezra. Great. Um, no, not well, not really. Whatever. Back to Thrawn. He sees Ahsoka's ship descending. Anoki, his uh, his number one guy, asks if he should prepare their defenses. But Thrawn correctly predicts that she'll go to Sabine, who we wisely sent far away. Um, I felt like that was a, a great, great little tell there from from Thrawn that he's like, yeah, she she's not going to come to us. She's here for Sabine. First and foremost, um, connect again, connecting to Anakin and how Anakin would have operated and then says, and we sent her away. So this is great. She's not going to come bother us. So a fun thought that I had here, you know, with him, like we wisely sent far away. Yeah. I couldn't tell how much he was sincere in that. And I actually am taking that as a little bit of, he understands the mythos that he has and he encourages it even when it's bullshit. Because when he sent her, they did not have any reason to think that a Jedi was going to be showing up looking for her and that sending her far away would no, no, not he did, take but time I think he, from somebody else coming. So it's fortuitous. But it wasn't well, no. wise to send her far away. That wasn't intentional. He's making it sound like it was when it wasn't. I'm not sure about that because I think that he still was trying to get the people who had a vested interest in him not leaving away from him. And he nope, that and, and and he did that in getting Sabine away. Yes, it is fortuitous that Ahsoka came in, and Ahsoka has the personality of such that she's going to follow Sabine, right? But like his general point is, all these fuckers who are here who would potentially be stopping me as I'm loading this cargo and getting the fuck out of here on that big hyperdrive thing you've got up there in the sky. Like I got to get them away from me in some capacity. And oh yeah, if we kill them too, awesome. That would be great. Yeah, but I mean, they could have just left Sabine in a prison until they left. They had her in a prison. They could have no, but yeah, for but, like three days. But that, right, but that that but that's what I just said, right? Is that if we can kill Sabine and Ezra in the process, great. That's an added benefit. But they, yeah. uh, but it also gets them far away, so there's no threat of her breaking out of prison or her doing something or Ezra coming to try to get her and fouling up this whole operation. I know where they are. They're away. It's controlled. I don't know. It works yeah. for me. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, anyway. Um, then we get the the sort of breakup here of Balin and and Shen, which we kind of got a little bit of foreshadowing in the last episode. Balin basically tells her like, "Hey, go go kill them. I'm not going with you because your ambitions are taking us on a different path." What did you think of that? It was moving, and I didn't like it. Like I like them being a team. I like her growing with him. I like him, and it's breaking his heart and. Your ambition is taking it in a different direction. Go and be a part of the new empire. He's basically saying, like, look, the thing you're wanting, I, I want it for you. But he, he's, he's not trying to train her, stop wanting that. Because I think may, whether he is correct or not, he seems to be the type to not want to make people change what they want or to know that you can't make people change what they want. You can only sub, you know, um, hide it for a while. She would probably, if he if he made her miss her window to leave and be part of the Empire, as she's like, this is our turn, she would resent him. And 
maybe turn on him later. They're not entirely light side folks. So he, I think, does care about her, wants good things for her, wants her to achieve her goals, and is sad that her goals, that she doesn't value. He didn't train her in the way that he wanted to, to value the things he does or trust him enough or something. He seems sad that she doesn't want what he wants enough to be convincible. Um, and that sucks. And I don't like it. But, but yeah, it but let's, let's, it let's draw it. Let's draw a, a comparison here to like, um, I'll, I'm going to do a, a comparison to Wheel of Time and I'm probably going to get it wrong. So please don't yell at me. Um, like the, the dark friends want to break the wheel, right? Like Ashamael wants to break the wheel. He wants to. He, he does at least, yes. The yeah. Ashamael yeah. wants to break the wheel and stop this whole process over and over again. I get the sense that that's kind of where Balin's head is, where Shin is more like one of the dark friends. I don't know. Say, I want uh, power. I want. Yeah, what a, security and safety or and money uh, and respect. Or what's her name? The one that really wants to get with um, the the dragon. Like they, there's there's worldly things that they want and they want to participate in the wheel. Whereas this guy is kind of outside of it. And I agree. I think that there's a little bit of sadness there when he realizes like she doesn't have a she doesn't want this greater purpose. She wants what she said last episode, which was, doesn't that mean that we win this time? So he's like, hey. Go win. But he does give her one parting lesson. Shin, patience, impatience for victory will guarantee defeat. And I think that was a great parting lesson for her. And she takes the bandits with him and off she goes and Balin just watches. Um, Grand Admiral, we've, we've received a signal pinpointing Bridger's location. If Lord Balin proves capable, we may yet win the day, says Thrawn. This is after Shin has sent the coordinates back uh, to them. And then we see a some of his troops. He does send a couple, I think, I think he says two units of his troops in a helicopter style, style vehicle off of the Chimera to go and, and deal with this. And it, it does seem like, yeah, I'll, I'll send a few resources here. If we can, if we can shoot the moon here and get a, and get a quick win and kill some of these unpredictable Jedi force users. Awesome. Um, otherwise, you know, no skin off my back. I still get out of here. We see the bandits coming up behind Ezra, Sabine, and no- the Noti. She's shooting. Ezra's giving them some instructions. One thing I do love about this entire sequence, it goes on a long time, I will say that, but I do like how Ezra is constantly, the Noti are kind of like, kind of like the, I don't know, like a, like a uh, elderly neighbor who really loves you. And like, just keeps poking their head out, like, "Are you sure you're okay?" And then, like, <laughs> and and Ezra's like, "No, you have got to go back in there. Like, you're gonna get hurt." And then Noti being like, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" Like, you I'm, can. Tell, I'm gonna throw a rock. Don't worry about me. I'm gonna throw a rock. It's, you can I'll, tell I'll, that I'll, the Noti fucking <laughs> they love Ezra and they don't like that he's in this threat and they're they want to do something, but he's trying to protect them too. And that back and I, I got that dynamic in full display here and I appreciated it. And this is coming from somebody who really doesn't like Ezra. Like I'm not a big fan of the Ezra character, but this worked for me. I was of two minds. I don't want to see if you have felt strongly about them going back to the one, the, you know, the, the one got disabled and he said, we can't leave them behind. It's like, all right, you're not armored, armed. You're a defensive, like, run and try not to die group. Like, that's what your shtick is. You're armored turtles. Um, and the only way that that, like, in nature works is if, well, one dies and the herd keeps moving and the one gets left behind. The gazelles don't turn around usually and try to go rescue a gazelle usually. Um, 
I wasn't sure if I liked that because it shows, you know, Jedi and honor and all for one. And he really cares about these people he's been living with for a decade. Or if I thought that was really kind of Disney, nobody can die. There are no stakes. Nothing bad can ever happen to somebody good and everything's fine and it's easy. And he wears his plot armor proudly and is aware of it. I felt all of that at once, and it was very conflicting. So did you have an opinion when they went back for the one that got hit? They, I, I think from a storytelling perspective, they could have done without that. I think okay. it introduces uncertainty to people in, in the whole thing and takes some people out of it. I will say this, that I am particularly susceptible to these, like, other species that are, like, kind of cute and super loyal and, like, they, that Ewoks or the, you know, in some cases, the Jawas. Um, you know, and then now the Noti, like, uh, or what's the, oh man, what's the one from the Mandalorian? The, the small guy who's the, the fantastic, um, engineer and can fix everything. This is bad baby. That one. Um, these characters I fall, yeah, I fucking fall in love with. And so I'm super susceptible to like, uh, yeah, I don't really care about, the whole universe right now we need to make sure the no t live like yeah. i'm one of those people so i get i get super caught up in it it really works for me so um i might not be the best person to ask that question to but i think they could have done without the let's go back and get the the one especially because this I, as a branch of reference earlier this fight scene with ezra sabine the bandits later the um the thrawn troopers and then shin goes on a really long time. I don't think it needed to be as long as it was. It, I would have, if they could have cut it in half and given them that time to Thrawn just talking about trade routes, I think I would say that. Same. Same. Um, I find that more interesting yeah, yeah. than, than how, how, how Ezra fights with the Force and not a blaster. I did find it interesting that they actually did have a plan, though, and that they circle up and they perform, they create a shield wall. And they, yeah. they maybe need more offense. Shield wall! A few slingshots. But their shield wall is effective and that Shout shows vikings that, uh, yeah well yeah vikings or romans or spartans or whatever it is you know the, the did you ever see the show vikings from korea what's that do you see the show vikings no on the history channel it, yeah there, this is there, anyway if you saw the show vikings it that the yelling Didn't shield come? yelling yeah. shield wall and then doing the shield wall was like a meme from that show so i was referencing okay. the show well the, the idea that they did it and it plausibly worked you need it's to cool. fight back. Like the the Raiders aren't going to get bored of hitting you and leave, but the, it did give them a good excuse of showing up, and I kind of liked that more than well, anything else. I got them out of their ships. For and there was also like, the the pretty telling. There's also that pretty telling line from Ezra, right, where um, she Sabine is being Sabine, and she's like, "You didn't tell me they couldn't fight," and he goes, "Well, they've survived all these years, you know." Like he's like, they. You know, they got something up their sleeve. You know, they, they, they have yeah. ways to deal with bandits and they, do, and they do, right? They, they can, they stronger together, defensive posture. That did seem to be somewhat effective. But then Ezra noticed a, Shin. A Ewok with more armor and less hiding, basically. And yeah, and less like teddy bear, right? <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't know, man. The, the, the no tea really worked for me. And the idea that like yeah. Ezra's been there with them for 10 years and he's developed these deep personal relationships with them. Uh, I care about that. Like, I care about that more fucking strangely enough than I do him and Sabine. So which one of the notes is he dating? <laughs> I don't think, see, I don't, here's the thing. I don't think that, but I'll bet you he has given a lot of advice to like his buddies. Like, Oh, you're going to go get with that notey. Like, let me tell you how to do it. Like she really likes that little shell and you know, all this stuff. 
So hey, you think he's probably Godfather for like half of these? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I think it's fantastic. I love it. Uh, all right. So Ezra notices Shin and he's like, uh, what's that? And Sabine says, she's like you, but lacks your sense of humor. I am over the Sabine character and found that to be a lame line. Um, he says lightsaber, which I think is a great question to ask. And she goes, oh, yeah. And he's like, great. So as they approach, um, you know, Ezra's like, look, I'm I'm going to fight with the force. Right. I'm, I'm going to fight with the force. And we did get a we do get a scene as Shin starts to fight these two where she swings a, a lightsaber at him and he, he catches it with the force and holds it. And uh, we also got that scene, um, I think, in the Kenobi series with uh, Reva doing that to Darth Vader, trying to hit Darth Vader and him stopping the the lightsaber with the force. And we also got it in the sequel movies with Rey fighting Ben Solo and Ben attacking her and her stopping it. I'll say this. Yeah. I've had a chance to go back and watch all three of those scenes this week. I'm going to, I'm, I'm trying to give you a little catnip. The sequel movies did it best because when, when Ben's holding that lightsaber, it's vibrating and shaking because she's having to hold and her hands are vibrating at the same sort of, at least looks similar with frequency to, to hit that, to that. Looked way more believable to me than this scene. So I, I, I liked the idea that he has been without his lightsaber for so long and he's had surviving fight. And so he has, div- he's continued his training as best he can on his own because it's what he does. And he's figured out how to use the force in his not quite martial arts, but just training. Uh, and in he being able to fight without blasters or lightsabers and using the force. And I also buy that you could punch with the force like the force is a force if it can lift a ship it can punch someone in the face for sure you can lift your lightsaber with your hand i can if i can lift an unattended lightsaber i can lift one in your hand i can push against it i can knock your swipe three inches to the left maybe all those times when somebody's just dodging and not fighting back maybe they're also like nudging the person's hand to the side so that they just miss a lot i don't know i I like that idea um a, a lot uh i a, a weirdly unimportant thing, but it reminded me of the old Knights of the Old Republic game because you could play with blasters and you could play with lightsabers and you could play and just use force powers and just never hit anything with your lightsaber ever. And that was perfectly a way you could try to win. I don't know if you could beat the game, I don't know, whatever. But you know, it was a turn-based game and you could just use force pushes and stuff instead. And that yeah. would be a way to win a lot of things. So I, I love that. And, until yeah. he decides, oh, uh, by the way, Sometimes I use a blaster. I do need a blaster. Pew, pew, yeah, pew, 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 yeah, I do need a blaster. Well, uh, you know, when when the the, the Thrawn troopers came, I think he thought, "Oh God, that's that's maybe enough. I, I need to do something here." No, couple I, things. They, they were not overwhelming enough that he was toying with them, and then, oh, it's serious. I should pull out my blaster. He actually like, I don't know. I I don't. I hated that that he pulled out a blaster. It's like if Batman in you know the last third of the movie is just like, you know what, guns. I am going. I am going to shoot somebody. Yeah. Yeah, I I just felt like he he felt like it was the fight was getting away from him. Maybe I don't know. I mean, Ezra had no compunction about. It. I mean, he cre- Ezra created when he created his own lightsaber, he created a lightsaber that was also a blaster. Um, so his like his custom made lightsaber was also a blaster. So he used the blaster all the fucking. Me. I actually love that fact. I'm I'm very interested. That's now the coolest thing about him in my mind. He uh, yeah, and and Kanan was sort of blown away that he had, he was able to do it. 
Um, and they had, there was a whole sequence of him going to find the specific crystal to make the lightsaber and the whole thing. So they gave it, I mean, they gave it time to breathe, the, the whole building the lightsaber thing, but he used those weapons a lot. So it's not like he's, yeah. you know, somebody who doesn't do that stuff. I, so it was, it was almost more strange that he wasn't willing to use a blaster at the beginning than he picked one up at the end to me because I'd watched the, ser- the series. Yeah. It, again, not... It doesn't count if you say, well, if they just changed all the lines, then the character yeah, would yeah, make sense. It, if instead of, no, no, I'm going to only fight with the Force, and then he just forgets. I agree. Ten yeah. But if he just said, you need it more than I do. Like, I've got two blasters, you, you need both of them more than I do. If he had said that, that would have been pretty badass. And that would have then fit where, look, if we had a hundred guns, I'd take some. But no, you, you keep all your weapons, because I think you need them more than I do. Slight Sabine shade. Yeah, so you're you're doing the opposite of what you normally do. Um, you've actually convinced me to dislike this scene more than I disliked it when I, I started. I, uh, you've I, actually I got it. me. Yeah, there was no reason to do that. They, they they could do one or the other, but there was no reason to make it inconsistent. The, I, I'm with the, you. The, now. the worst thing about a bad thing is if it would have been so easy to make better. Like yeah. if if it's so easy to just fix the problem. Uh, why, that that's the only time that like a coffee if cup in the middle. To, like a coffee cup in the in the middle of a scene for the biggest television show in the world. Uh, I, I feel I feel like you can fix that in post. That was so frustrating. Um, all right, so then we got we got a Bela uh, or a Balin and Ahsoka fight, and I will tell you this: on this here podcast, this darn here podcast, me, this guy, the guy talking to you, the post, the host of the podcast, told you I'd bet all the money in my bank account that Ahsoka was kicked the hell out of Balin. I'm glad none of y'all took it took took me up on that because I was as sure as I could possibly be that Ahsoka the White was going to beat Balin. She did better this fight, I think. She didn't outright lose. They seemed to fight to a standstill, but she did not win. Um, and that surprised me. And Balin actually tells her, you can't defeat me. And she goes, well, maybe I don't need to. And then, whoop, Hu Yang comes in. He starts blasting. She gets away. She's able to go give reinforcements to our heroes. I was surprised by this. I, 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 you know, where they are, they are placing Balin in high company. Ahsoka with her head on right beat Darth Maul. Ahsoka with her head on right beat Darth Vader. Like Ahsoka's probably one of the best one-on-one fighters we have in the entire series uh, outside of maybe like Palpatine and Yoda. Like it's insane and, to me. And, that and, and, I, and maybe Anakin himself when he was at his height pre, pre, sure. Big yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah. For sure. Yeah. But he is the but, chosen one, so, you know. He, but he, he he never really realized that potential, right? Because when he was that powerful, he was still so headstrong that he did stupid shit like, you know, jump to the high ground. Like, so he never really realized that potential. But, like, yeah. they have placed Balin in rarefied air if they're telling us that Ahsoka really can't beat him. I suspect they'll tangle again. But right now, it seems like she can't beat him. And that means that Balin's in that company. Do you think there's a chance that she didn't want to kill him and just wanted to get past and not have her time wasted and figured this was faster? Maybe. Maybe because maybe she, she she was kind of flippant with him when he's like, you can't defeat me. She just sort of smiled at him and said, ah, maybe I don't need to. Um, so maybe. I mean, okay. I, I, honestly, right up there with uh, you know, the red arm, the line from um, Thor uh, 3, where it's like, you can't beat me. I know, but he can. I do love any time that dynamic plays out where she's like, ah, maybe you're right, perhaps, but guess what can? 
the entire spaceship just shooting at you and me running away. Yeah, Balin, <laughs> you don't see, you don't I, see, I enjoyed it. you don't see Balin on his back foot very often, but getting shot at by a spaceship sure did make him run. And that was just enough for our, our hero Ahsoka to give reinforcements to jump back, you know, stole his horse and, and got there. And it was a, it was definitely like a, you know, like in wrestling, there's the, there's the phrase, is that so-and-so's music? That's what the announcers always say when somebody's doing a run-in. Like for me, this was very much a, is that Ahsoka Tano's music situation? Because it looked like Ezra and Sabine were fucked because of all the Thrawn troopers that showed up. But when Ahsoka shows up, she just starts tossing Thrawn troopers, killing people left and right. She takes on Shin directly and that frees up Ezra and Sabine to kill some Thrawn troopers. And Thrawn has, such a Thrawn move for him. He's got like basically a little security cam like footage of it so that he can map out the fight as it's going on. He looks at it. He sees that with the addition of Ahsoka, they're losing. He's amused by this. Says, what a rare sight. Almost like the Jedi of old. Maybe a little impressed, definitely amused. And he says, recall the gunships, call off the aerial pursuits. Um, he says, these are acceptable losses, given the absence of Lord Balin in the grand scheme of things. One might call this first match with Tano a success. So play, here's how I saw the scene playing into the idea that I, I talked about earlier, which was this is gravy if they're able to kill these people. But ultimately, the main course is getting out of here and they're going to be able to do that regardless. So this is still a win for him. And I also think it was a way to manipulate Elsbeth by saying, your guy, Balin, the guy you brought here, I didn't expect him here, failed me. I.e. you failed me, i.e. you owe me. Um, so I think it was, it was a shot at Elsbeth that was, that was done to control her long term. What do you think? I mean, absolutely. At the very least, it was just knocking her down a peg of like, this is okay despite how you've disappointed me. And it shows a little bit the difference, like, what would Darth Vader do? Eh, maybe kill her. Maybe kill like her, Let yeah. her know that this is your last chance. Well, he's doing a, uh, we'll, we can address this again in your performance review, but everything's fine. Like, yeah, yeah, well, fine. yeah go, you go ahead home, get some rest. We'll be fine. Come back to work tomorrow. But yeah, you, we, we may have to discuss this again. Um, yeah, but, but, and he says, well, let me show you. She says, well, I see. She's like panicking. She's like, I see our enemies reunited. And he says, let me show you what I see. He says, with the enemy distracted, the cargo transfer is now almost complete, which means they may soon leave. We may soon leave this forsaken place. Ahsoka Tano has lost the one thing she couldn't afford to lose today, time. And I think that I think that he's right. I think that the entire goal of this, think about Ahsoka early on in this season. She was saying. We might need to sacrifice Ezra. Fuck Ezra, right? We may not, we may need to say, forget him in the process of stopping Thrawn from coming back. That was her number one objective. But now that it's all playing out, now that she's there, she did exactly what Thrawn said she would, which is not focus on him, not focus on stopping him, and go right to Sabine and Ezra to save them. So it's almost like she's, Ahsoka's going against her own logic and her own advice from earlier in the season where she's like, look, we, we cannot prioritize saving one person over allowing Thrawn to come back. She's taken no steps to stop Thrawn from coming back. And this diversion worked perfectly. So you're saying Sabine is so bad. She's actually tainting our heroes. She's rubbed I mean, off on Ahsoka a little bit because it doesn't make like 
should think about what Ahsoka was saying in episode two. Shouldn't Ahsoka have, as soon as she got free of the minefield, shouldn't she have gone straight to the Chimera to try to stop Thrawn? No, no, I, I, I'm actually going to disagree with you on this. Okay, well, why not? She does not know Thrawn's plan. She does not know Thrawn's timeline. She does not know how and when Thrawn's going to get back. What she does know is that he's got a chimera and he's got witches and he's got minefields and she doesn't actually know where he is. She could guess he's on the chimera, but I think in this case, unless the chimera is still on the ground, she'd be wrong. Cause I think he's there like in the temple or something. Maybe there's, it's docked or something. How is she going to blow up the whole thing? She is going to get allies and she's going to get information. And Ezra is the one who knows something and Sabine's the one who knows something and she's going to rescue them. But if she can, yes, that's part of why she's there in the first place. But if I'm going to try to take down Thrawn and I show up and I don't even know what planet this is, talking to somebody who knows what the planet's name is, is maybe one of the first things I would do to get some kind of information. Now, Thrawn's really good at this and he has a head start and he will use his time at least as efficiently as you do, is at least his mythos. And it seems like in this case what's happening. But I, she's going to get information and allies and figure out a plan because okay. she doesn't have so to. That works so for I, me. I do buy it. That works for me if she does that because she doesn't in this episode. Because in this episode she goes, oh, miss this reunion and there's hugs all around. She doesn't stop and say, Ezra, where is Thrawn? Sabine, what did you learn? Where is he? How can we stop him? None of that conversation happens. So if we get that in the beginning of the next episode, completely there with you. That that maybe she was thinking that was the most efficient way of learning the information she needed to learn but we didn't hear her say any of that this episode so i i i made you hate a scene that you loved i need to i need to try to help you out now that uh ahsoka from episode two would have done that she would have come in furrowed brow said ezra it's been a long time where's thrawn no she's been reminded that you can fight without being only a soldier, that you can be more than war, that you can be more than just demanding the next step. You can take a moment to be human, or you know, they're not humans, and to rejoice in your friend who was lost and is found, who is dead to us and has come back to life. And all we see is that moment. We don't see them around a campfire still, you know, flirting and shooting the shit. Um, in that moment, that's what her character seems like it is, is perhaps would make a joke, would give an indication that she is the same person that they knew and would let them know how happy she is. I mean, honestly, their reunion seemed like actual old friends. Maybe it's just good actress or maybe it's just that Sabine sucks. But her and Ezra, they got way better chemistry than Sabine has with anybody. Completely agree. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. And that makes sense, right? Because she's, she's awakened again, right? She's, she's not depressed or whatever. And she's also with the white now, but I need to see them pivot in the next episode to, okay, guys, now we got to stop throwing, right? Cause that conversation so I, I, didn't happen. I think that, I think within the first 10 minutes of the next episode, that conversation will happen or a conversation that tells you that it happened off screen. Okay. Uh, I hope we see it because I think it's going to start with, uh, her, her saying, "All right, where's Thrawn? Oh well, he's he's he flies around and because if like, no, 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 he, he's over there. It's like okay, because well, if we get he, if we get her saying leaving. he's probably leaving in a month, so he's like, no, he's leaving in three days, and it's just like, what? You didn't fucking tell me any of this. That's kind of relevant. It's our only ride and the only enemy, and what the hell? And also, now I hate you forever. I, because I if dream. 
if the conversation becomes, all right, let's get Ezra on the T6, let's try to find the whales to get Ezra home, and they're not focusing as a unit on going to the Chimera to try to do something about Thrawn returning, then I'll be a little disappointed. Um, but I, I, I think you're probably right. But I just, I, it seemed that this, the, this episode in a, in a vacuum, which you, you know, you kind of can't take, right? But like, this is all I got to see is that the, the goal seemingly for Ahsoka was to go get Ezra. And I was like, wait a second. That's not what she said earlier in the, in the season. Now I will be with you if they pivot immediately and go, okay, I saved you and now you can give me all this information. Um, about, you know, our best way to, to attack this thing. So, so I'm going to give you one other quiver in your self-defense. Uh, no, you know what I mean? I'm going to give you one other defense if they don't quite do that the way that you want. It, put yourself in her shoes right now. Your number one goal was to keep Thrawn from coming back. He's on the Chimera. You're three Jedi in one ship and two of the Jedi don't count. Um, your odds of winning here are kind of none. Yeah, I won't, so I won't what, accept that based on the premise of basically every single Rebels fucking show where it was well, like, oh, we got five people. Let's go like, uh, I don't know, in the middle of Coruscant and do some mission. So, and you were actually bringing like, pretending you don't have plot armor common sense. Warning the Republic might be more valuable. So if they say <laughs> we have to leave That's now to go warn the Republic, I'll buy that as Huh. Yes, stopping Thrawn was her number of priority, and that ship has sailed. And so now we are on, we need to survive, and we need to warn the Republic, uh, which would be, we need to get Ezra at home. Um, so I... if they just go to get Ezra home, I'm choosing to believe it's, we need to go tell Hera, because she sucks, and so she, then we need to actually tell somebody who matters. There's been so many instances in Star Wars of our, our main characters being like, okay, it's just a couple of us, but like, I, I, how about this? Um, Luke, Leia... You know, the droids, let's, let's go into fucking the Death Star. Um, <laughs> you know, like it happens constantly. Like a couple of our heroes go into these big, huge areas with tons and tons of stormtroopers, tons and tons of enemies, and they do it anyway and they survive and they win. So I won't, I won't really love the idea that like they think they can't go into the Chimera and do anything. That idea though is very interesting. Like if, if, if they're like, we got to go tell Hera, we got to tell Mon Mothma, Senator Organa, like let's get back. Yeah. As soon as possible we, to do we that. We need them to prepare. Like, like I, prepared. I don't, I wouldn't expect that, but I actually might like that. I, I like yeah. that idea. That's a good idea. The only thing is, if they say we need to go like get you safe, and then that's the end of the conversation, then I, I'd be with you that it sucks. But if it's we need to escape with our lives and tell the Republic, fine. If it's let's go kill Thrawn now that I have allies and can know where he is, also good. So in comes a ship with Hu Yang. Out comes some of the Nodi. The Nodi seem pan. <laughs> this one Nodi comes out and he seems so concerned for Ezra. He's like, no, 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 but, but, no, no, no. I could almost hear hear him saying, no, 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 but, but, are you okay? Are you, you probably are you sure you're, you're sure so you're okay? thin. No, you're no, so no, no. thin. We're gonna are make sure? more soup. Are you sure? It's okay, I'll make, no, I'll make new Come soup. on in. You come on and take a nap. You take a nap. You you come in here. Like I, it just felt like I heard that over and over again. But anyway, Ezra tries to calm down the Nodi. He calls Sabine and Ahsoka friends. Guys, I'm getting a feeling. I think I might be going home after all. Maybe. I don't know, dude, but you need some purgles. End of episode. That's one thing to remember is that, like, they were looking at the ship like, okay, I might be going home, but, like, that T6 cannot get you home. Like, well, you've got to get on the purgles. So I, I don't know why he's saying that. I'm going to tell you why I what I take away from that. And I don't think this, this doesn't fit his character. 
Sabine shows up on a horse, and he's like, okay, look, I'm going to let you get around to it in your own good time. I'm going to enjoy this reunion, but I'm never getting home, am I? Like, you, you're stuck here with me. But Ahsoka shows up, and she can actually get more than three feet off the ground. Now we're talking. I have optimism because maybe he knows that Sabine is, you know, terrible at her jobs. Uh, maybe, maybe he loves. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she's like the klutzy clum. I mean, she's supposed to be like the badass warrior, but maybe he knows that she sucks, loves her anyway. And so, all right, we're fine. I, maybe we're stuck here together, and and I will be happy for the rest of my life stuck here with you forever. But you're here on a horse and won't tell me how we're getting home. So, yeah, no, you're dude. I completely agree with you. This is such a great point you made that like the presence of Ahsoka probably gave him hope because like he he has a very high opinion of Ahsoka um, through a lot of events that happened in Rebels and just what he knows of her. Like he is when he that's fantastic point to point out that when she shows up, I'm sure he's thinking, oh, we're cooking with gas now. Like we got a real stud in the house. Loves loves Sabine. He's a Sabine fan, but I don't think he thinks that Sabine can marshal this whole operation. But he does have a lot of faith in Ahsoka. That's a good point. I mean, if she showed up with a spaceship, then maybe even she has a plan. Maybe we can go somewhere. But a horse. horse. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And then didn't want to talk about anything. didn't want to talk about Not how she got here, how she found him, (laughs) what the plan was, how they were going to get home. Because at one point he says, like, getting home is kind of important. And she's like... Yeah. You always can we talk it. about she, something else? He's like, oh, we we could have grown and die here, and then uh, you know, all right, fine. I'm, Ezra's I'm, I'm also, happy with you here. Ezra's also pretty good with people, and like he probably realized that like sh- there was some things she didn't want to tell him that was like bad news. Like I'm sure he I'm sure he picked up on that. But like the presence of Ahsoka with a ship, yeah, that, that's a that's a great point. Okay, let's cut to best line of the episode. Do you have a line of dialogue that you really liked? Um. You go first. I don't know. I'm 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 wishy washy. Yeah, I mean it's not gonna shock you, but mine is a thrawn line and it's when he's watching the fighting with Shin, uh the the bandits, the Thrawn troopers, and then Ahsoka comes in and starts sort of wrecking shop and it all starts to turn and he almost smiles and Thrawn never fucking smiles, but it's like as close to a smile as you get and he says, What a rare sight, almost like the Jedi of old. I loved it because it showed, like, he had plans within plans. Winning this, like, little battle, this little skirmish here was not, like, the sole reason. It was not the reason to be for him that day, right? Like, but uh it also is telling about how Thrawn, I wouldn't say him, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to say he obsesses about the Jedi. But it's on the spectrum. Like, it's on, the, like, he is ve- always, he always knows where that piece is on the chessboard. When it's a Jedi, he's very concerned about force users. They're unpredictable. They're powerful in a way he doesn't understand. Like he, he always likes to make sure he understands where they are. So that just, that line, um, read to me like the Timothy's on Thrawn. And I thought it was fantastic writing and connection of a character. I felt like I recognized the character and I loved it. I, I, I think that's really good. Um, what I would say is, um, I probably would copy you and, and say that 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 is probably better. Uh, the one I was thinking of was still, uh, you know, your your, your ambition. Mm, yeah, go, that's a good go, one. Go go and be a power. I I don't have it written down, but go be a leader in this new empire. 
go win. Uh, I'm paraphrasing because I don't. I I'm a professional here, but you know he's he's telling. No, we all know. We know. We know what line you're talking about. Go go take your prize, and do well, succeed, thrive, be part of the new empire with Thrawn. That's what your ambition is, and you should do it. And it was heartbreaking, actually. Like I care enough about these people, even though we don't know much about them, and they are. Shin is clearly a villain. Maybe she doesn't really care, but she's clearly a villain. Like, she does not have the nobility that he does. She has a lust for power that's maybe not blossomed, but it's there. Um, so she's clearly a villain, and he is not a hero. Um, but so he tells, he tells... The look on his face when she left. Yeah, the quote was, he, he says, Shin, uh, contact Thrawn, kill Sabine Wren and Ezra Bridger, and take your place in the coming empire. You won't help. And he says, your ambition drives you in one direction. My path lies in another. And then he okay. says, I, uh, I paraphrase sending... it a lot, but yeah, but I, that's I, it. Totally, yeah. It's all there. You know, go, go win, succeed, thrive, be part of the empire, do what is in your heart. You'll do great. I believe in you. Yeah. But, I, I got all of that. Yeah. But also like you, a little disappointment that she's worried about such small matters, right? Because like he, he clearly views this as small, this, this, Turning of the wheel, the same fight that always happens. Empire rise, empire falls. Like it's boring to him. He has a higher purpose, and I think he's a. I do. I do think he's conveying a sense of disappointment that she doesn't see that this is like small potatoes. I wonder if she had said no, I'm with you. If he would have said great, <laughs> or if he would have said, I wish that were true, but you're really not, and. Like, I, I wonder. I wonder if he would have accepted her choosing to do his thing or if he just would have said, look, look, that's not what's in your heart. That would that would be bad for everybody. Don't go. I'm yeah. telling you to leave. I mean, I'm I'm ordering you to leave. I, I'm curious. And there will never be right answer to that because that's not what happened. But I'm really curious what he would have done if she had tried to stay. Final segment of the show is a nostalgic moment of the episode. I think that for me, the nostalgic moment of the episode it's very simple. It's very easy. It's very predictable. It's the fact that off the top rope, Leia Organa comes in and says, wait a second. No, you're not going to kick this general out for trying to stop, stop Thrawn. This is all horse shit. And I got the sense, um, that she is not a big fan of Senator Ziano anyway. So she probably, Leia probably has a, a fucking heat seeker on him and is watching his behavior anyway. And, uh, sending 3PO was a ballsy, was a, not a ballsy, was a, was a boss move. Uh, like she can't even be bothered, but I love the fact that Leia's presence is in this. I don't know how they're going to handle showing her because like they're good. They got to do my understanding is they're going to do one more season of Ahsoka. So we get Ahsoka season two, which will continue the build. This will be thrown back in our galaxy now. Right. And mm -hmm. then we will get the heir to the empire movie, which will converge everything in the Mandoverse. Everything in this timeline will all come together in a big final fight for Thrawn. And that movie will explain to us why when the new, the, the new order comes around or the first order comes around in the sequel series, Thrawn's not a part of it. So there's a lot of story to tell here. I don't know how they're going to get around not showing us Leia. I'm very interested in that. But the fact that we had her presence in this, I, I really loved it. I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, so my nostalgic moment of the episode would really just be almost the same as yours, but is the three seconds of CP3PO bickering over protocol 
on being admitted in. Just him. That was fun, yeah. Just, I know. Yeah. So so hung up on protocol, but also unable to imagine that protocol should apply to him. It was very strange. Human cyborg relations. I am sent here by Leo Orgot. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was just so fun. I liked it. Love that part. Okay. All right. Well let's let's wrap it up. I I I actually have a guess on how they're gonna do Leia. I think they will not show her. And I think it will be I think I did not know what you said about how around this time period or shortly after this is when it gets out who her dad was. Yeah. I think they're going to say she's not on Coruscant. Like, because of that, like, she, you know, they won't, I hope they don't, like, just say she can't show her face or something. But she's basically that she's busy off world. And that'll be a little bit of a cop out. But I think if you give, like, a, Every news story is about her, or I don't know. You could give that as much or as little screen time as you want, but I think that's a pretty good reason for her to not be showing her face as much. Yeah, and they so could I also... They, I think they won't show her. They could also connect it to she's out, you know, getting resources for the defense. She's building a military. You know, she's she's advocating. She's, you know, because the new, because Mon Mothma won't do it, and the Republic won't do it, so she's out talking to and making deals with other planets to accumulate ships and missiles and resources and blasters and soldiers and all the stuff you need to fight Thrawn. I think that could work, too. Yeah, they, they probably won't show her. I think that out of respect for Carrie Fisher, they're not going to. But um, it's tough because it would be a really great moment to show her. Because she's going to be a, a really important figure in this this whole this whole fight with Thrawn, um, one way or the other. She's a big military presence in the New Republic. Yeah, I, a big political do, presence uh, in the New Republic. Sorry. One thing that occurred to me, I, I don't, I, I'm not even going to learn his real name, um, Sen- Senator Douchebag. I, yeah, I, I know. not. I know. I don't want to learn it. I just want to call him Senator Douchebag. Douchebag. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, it's, it's a it's a it's an old Tatooine name. It goes way back for generations. His father is a douchebag, and his father before him, he's surrounded by douchebags. Yeah, he's um, actually related to George R. Binks. But uh, what do they think the Republic looks like? For how many hundreds of years the Republic did not have a standing army? The Republic is not a military organization, historically. What do they think the Empire looks like? The most militant organization they can imagine. It's unsurprising to me that when they have the New Republic, one of the first things they do as soon as they possibly can convince themselves it's a good idea is demilitarize because they are not the Empire in their own eyes. They don't want to be. They don't want to be seen that way. A combination of idealism and optimism and maybe their darker elements wanting to encourage these things and wanting to get back to the good old days of the Republic and it's uns- I'm not saying it's right. All the stuff I said before about pretending things are better than they are is a problem in the real world and in their world. It's not surprising, though, that they would not want to look and act and arm themselves like the Empire did. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. This, the, you know, I, I buy this entire storyline like Hook, line, and sinker. I am in with this storyline of this. I'm real of, deep into like lore that's not on screen that I'm making up, and that I'm probably gonna be wrong on so much of it, and I'll be so mad. I don't think Especially so. I think that I this is where they're going. Job. I think this is. I think it's gonna be a. It's going to be a battle about like what we want the New Republic to be, and in the, within that battle, I think that for fear of what happened last time, there's gonna be some. Uh, 
there, there's going to be the ability for complacency to set in. And and that's what we get. And that's why, you know, they, they, they have to get us to the first order, right? They've got to get yeah. us to a place where the, the new republic has fallen. So how do we get there? Well, uh, the, I think they're starting that story. And I think it's, I think it's been, I'm really well, into I, it. Well, and, the, and the other lesson they would have taken away, um, you know, the whole how strong do, does Mon Mothra think that she should be? What's their other really big takeaway? What is in all their now poli and history books? The Republic stood firm and was slow and had pr- serious problems. But the moment that they brought and gave emergency powers to, the, to uh, a chancellor, all shit went down. So, so, so what is she going to really not do? She's Ever not going to take emergency powers, even when it's an emergency. Yeah, yeah, she's going to be the, the George Washington saying, no, I'm not running again because that's a bad idea. Um, yeah. You were not having me and my kids and their kids and their kids be the rulers forever. I'm not going to be an emperor because that is what ended thousands of years of peace. So, all right. Again, well, I, not, I, anyway, only got, that's, that's I only I got, got I got one prediction for the, the finale. Here you go. Here it comes. Ready? OK. Uh, Balin Skull is going to try to break the wheel. He's trying to break the wheel of time. So he's going to go to uh, the world within worlds or the world between worlds. And when he gets there through a gate, probably on this planet. That's why he came here because there's some gate to get inside. That's why he, yeah, he feels it. He feels it, right. Like he's always saying, "There's something here for me." Right. He gets it. He uses the gate. He gets into the world within world between worlds. And in there, he is going to be able to break the wheel, break the universe, and stop time and end it all. He's going to be like the God Maker, right? He's going to be able to do this. And that's when Grogu will show up, my friend. Because you can't break the universe without Grogu having something to say about it. So that's when Grogu is going to show up. Uh, he'll probably have forced Mando to take him uh, here. Maybe he got on a space well. I don't know. But that's when Grogu shows up. He'll he'll kill Balin. We won't have Balin for the finale uh, at the end of it. Grogu will have saved the day, stopped him from breaking the wheel. All, all the other stuff will happen. Thrawn goes back to Coruscant or goes back to our galaxy. Um, Soka will follow. All that fighting. All that's going to happen. But that's what I want to see, my friend. I want to see Balin's, Balin's Skull v. Grogu in the world between worlds. Give it to me. So I'll make my own prediction because I can't even tell how serious you are. I love your so idea the, that he goes to the world between it worlds. It was 50%. Why, 50%. Well, I, I don't think Grogu's showing up. But I, I do think he's going to go within the world within worlds and try to break the wheel somehow. And maybe Anakin stops him. But I don't know. I had to figure out a way to get Grogu in it. Totally like that. I like the idea that Anakin's waiting for him there and basically says, like, no, I'm not going to let you do this. And he's like, you can't stop me. And he's like, Haha. and think about the anger he can. is. Think about the anger he is. Dis- he is shown for what happened in Order 66, for, for what happened Anakin at the, in particular. And yeah, exactly. So when he sees Anakin, I think that'll be a wonderful scene. So I, I, I think that will happen. I think they're going to completely hand wave away Sabine being terrible and i will never completely forgive ahsoka and ezra and hu yang for hand waving away sabine's terrible choice hu yang might not forget (laughs) he might bring it up time to time (laughs) he'll bring it up but he'll bring it up as like a punchline to keep her you know humble not like a oh hey oh hey oh yeah you oops i spilled some soup remember the time you murdered a million people holy wow that's that's similar to my soup yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what he would do, basically. It's like that's 
Ah, oh, man. No, they, they are going to completely hand wave away that she had no choice or uh, we save what we love instead of destroying what we hate. It's like, you got to do a little of the destroying if you want Thrawn to not, like, murder people. Like, I think those people want their family saved, too. And now we don't get to do that because they're going to die because it's Sabine being an idiot. And they're going to hand wave away. And Thrawn's going to be the only one to have ever called her out on it correctly. Yep. Um, and I'm going to be probably. a little grumpy about that forever. Like, yeah, she should probably. really be left behind. Yeah, he, he'll probably be like a dick about it. Like if he comes up, he sees her again, like in Coruscant or something, he'll be like, hey, everybody, uh, let's, let's all Great. give her Great a round of applause. Empire. Yeah, let's, yeah, she's the big hero. Yeah, he, he probably would do something like that. All right, this has been fantastic, Jamie. Enjoyed it as always. We will be back next week to review the finale of the Ahsoka series with Spencer. It'll be a three-way pod next week. Be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. See you then.